Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast that will teach you to take your Shopify store and turn it into a business-growing sales machine. It has the latest marketing, email, sales, SEO, and social media advice, and also has strategies and tips from the experts without fluff. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and an education partner with the Shopify-approved course, 1,000 Sales and Beyond. He's the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick has over 13 years experience in digital marketing from PPC and SEO through to digital transformation of businesses. He's helped hundreds of brands from startup Shopify stores through to international enterprises that operate in hundreds of countries. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interview the experts to help you in your journey to success. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. For anybody who is new or hasn't tuned in for a few months, my name's Nick, and I'll be hosting the podcast from here on. I took over in June from Caroline, who was previously running these, and I've realized recently as well, we've just gone over 100 episodes. So there's over 100 episodes of content. If you want to go back and get lots of amazing tips on your marketing, your Shopify stores, how to run a business, and hear from some of the world's leading entrepreneurs as well. Today is episode four of a series that has been sponsored by Brightpearl. As you may have heard a few months ago, we interviewed Brightpearl's CEO. We enjoyed the interview so much. We had a conversation about this sponsorship uh, series that we're doing at the moment. We've heard from some very interesting people so far, from Andrew, who's a retail legend, talking about what's changing in the wider scope. We heard from Sarah a couple of episodes ago, who's part of the Brightpearl team, talking about this specific report that's come out as well and some of the amazing statistics in there. And then last week, and again this week as well, we're going to be interviewing a couple of Shopify store owners about some of the changes they are seeing happen in their markets. So some of the shopping behaviors and things that are going on there. If you want to get hold of the report itself, it is only available to people that subscribe and listen to the Winning with Shopify podcast. So it's just for you guys. You can go to brightpearl.com forward slash winners and losers. And that's winners, A-N-D, losers. And the code to use is brightpearl, all one word in capitals. There's a US version and a UK version. So go and download the relevant one. Feel free to download both and see the differences between the UK and the US market. But without further ado, today we're going to be talking about what's happened and changed in the retail market and what retail brands are doing to respond to new shopping behavior, expectations, and shopping habits. If you haven't checked out last week's episode, check that out after you've listened to this one where we spoke to another Shopify store called Bond Touch. However, this week we're going to be talking to somebody from Love Pop, which is another Shopify store. His name's Dan Nephew, and he heads up many of the operations at Love Pop, a Boston-based company aimed at disrupting the $7 billion greeting card market with 3D laser-cut paper sculptures, a combination of art and technology. Dan, hello and welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Nick. Super happy to be here. This is exciting. Great stuff. And it's great to have you on the show. And I was just saying to you before we jumped on as well, these are probably the longest intros I've ever done <laughs> to the podcast. So <laughs> hopefully I've got all the information in there. If not, check out the description below. But um, it's great to have you here, Dan. And just before we dive in and start talking about shopping behavior and e-com and Shopify and that sort of stuff, do you want to just give us a quick overview about the store, your involvement and, and how things have got to where they are today? Absolutely. Yeah. So Love Pop, we've been in business for a number of years now. I actually joined the company uh, about a year and a half ago. I wasn't consulting here before that, to be honest with you, and then fell in love with it and came on board. 
But we are, as we like to say, we're in the business of creating magical moments. Our goal is to create 1 billion magical moments. And we do that through engineered art form, pop-up greeting cards, gifts, decor, flower bouquets. Now we have a number of new innovative products leveraging our laser cut, sculpted, handcrafted, you know, uh, pop-up art, if you will. We, Shopify is a big part of that. That's our, you know, our front end. We do a lot of business online. We also have a retail business and a number of third-party sellers that we leverage to get our brand and our product out to customers. Yeah, it started, John and Wambi, our two founders, basically started the business a few years ago. They're former engineers, naval architects. They were traveling. Oh, wow. Uh, and saw this uh, you know, art form in Vietnam and said, hey, this is something we can make a business out of it. And lo and behold, now here we are selling our products all over the world. And it's just a really fabulous story. I love the fact they came from like naval architects, like something really technical and industrial. And now they're making stuff for kids. Yes, I always find that fascinating that, you know, they weren't, you know, two guys that grew up in the art business, if you will, but they are very artistic. I will give you that. So. It's certainly a good use of a skill set that they're not using currently in the in the original industry or or job role they were in previously. It's um, yeah, absolutely fascinating. And I heard a very similar story a while ago about watchmakers and some of the things that watchmakers then go into afterwards. You know, after doing such intricate little projects on something as small and complicated as a watch. But yeah, absolutely fascinating to hear. And I guess the big question that everybody's probably wanting me to ask as well, you know, on this is. How did the business get to where it is today? Like, you know, has it kind of gone through lots of different websites and that sort of thing? Or did you guys just launch from day one with Shopify and build from there? Or, you know, what's the sort of e-commerce journey looks like so far? We started with another platform. We quickly learned it wasn't going to fit for, you know, where we wanted to be with scale. This is a little bit before my time, but I can give you some of the some of the background history. Then we, we've been on Shopify for a number of years. It's worked very well for us. And one of the reasons we have Shopify as well as BrightPearl is the combination of the platforms really has allowed us to scale our business. The growth that we've witnessed this past several years has been great, um, but with that comes a lot of operational challenges. So you can imagine trying to flow thousands of orders a day, and then during peak seasons, tens of thousands of orders to our customers create some challenges. We can't just throw labor at that problem. We need systems that enable us to flow the products uh, effectively. And Shopify and BrightPro play a big piece of that, if you will. I think we've made this point throughout the, you know, the series is how disheartening would it be to do all of that marketing effort to get customers into the store for their first time or bring people back to get that second, that third, that fourth order, the repeat kind of VIP customers to then not be able to do what is what marketeers would say is the easy bit. They've made a purchase, just get the product to them. And of course, it's much more complicated than that, isn't it? So I think having a platform you can scale on is absolutely essential. Right. You need the whole system to kind of work cohesively, be very agile. You know, you need to be able to flex that if you want to change something in the way you're presenting your product. So for us, like in Shopify, the way we move through seasons, right? We're not displaying Mother's Day prominently right now. We were six months ago. Right now it's fall, Halloween, right? Soon it'll be Christmas and holiday. And you need something that works, you know, on the front end that's very easy to kind of dynamically change like that. And then on the back end, obviously, you need a system that can keep up to date with that in terms of, you know, inventory availability, a big piece of that. 
uh, order flow, another big piece of that. So if we make changes, we have to make sure the inventory is reflected accurately at the time of people going on the website. Worst thing is to obviously sell something to somebody that unfortunately you then have to call them back and say, sorry, we were out of stock. That's something we strive every single day to avoid. I mean, even that customer service time to make that phone call, you know, one of the most expensive things in the e-commerce world is time, isn't it? It's people's time and, and actual, you know, human power to, to do things. So then having to, you know, as you say, put all that energy and effort in, pay to get that customer in via advertising or clever email campaigns to then have to both refund the order and spend time on human resource to then actually clear up the problem, you know, so that it doesn't then turn into a bad review on, on Trustpilot or something, I think. Exactly. We'd rather spend our money on designing new cards and new customer experiences, not fixing problems. Exactly. Definitely. Definitely. Definitely a good way to look at it. And, you know, the, the, the killer question really we're asking everyone at the moment, of course, is until March this year, the e-com industry was doing incredibly well. And then suddenly, you know, the penny dropped, certainly across Europe, across America and, and Canada. It was like, wow, the world is about to change overnight and it's going to happen very quickly. What was your first response, you know, from a sort of both personal and business perspective? What was your response when you turned the news on? It was like, wow, COVID-19's hit and we're going into lockdown, like, you know, and countries are literally shutting. Yeah, I think personally, I was kind of, until it started to hit Europe, I don't think you're here in America, I was probably like everybody else where we we basically thought, well, we have better medicine here. You know, we're going to be fine. Yeah, well, that was really wrong. And, you know, I think then it hits you from a business standpoint. I remember the day we told everybody we're going home, we're working remote and, you know, being on the IT side of the house, getting everybody enabled for that is quite a challenge, so to speak, to move quickly. Getting back to our systems, you know, one of the benefits of that, having platforms like we do that are all cloud-based, it's not like we had to move gobs of servers and yeah, yeah. You know, equipment around, like people take your laptop home or working from home. Yeah. Shopify were doing all that for us, weren't they? They were <laughs> moving the servers about and keeping them online. We were able to flex pretty quick. And, you know, we have a pretty dynamic workforce. We're very collaborative. We use other technology tools. We were using Zoom and Slack well before this thing happened. So that was second nature for us and we rolled right into it. I think the, you know, some of the bigger challenges were all three segments of our business were scaling. Our online business was doing well, our retail business was doing well, and our business with third party retailers or wholesalers was doing well. And the latter two really came down to a halt, if you will. Places weren't open. So that was challenging. But one of the things we learned was in our business, at least, we're one of those companies that, you know, for Mother's Day, you still got to get your mom a Mother's Day card. You may not be able to go to a retail shop and get it. So it opened a door for us for a lot of customers that weren't aware of us, helped us acquire a lot of new customers, bring our brand, make it aware to people. And that has stuck and people, once they get our product and they do fall in love with it, we get a lot of repeat business. We have a very strong product. So it was a matter of getting that attention. And in some ways it's drawn that attention, which has helped our business continue to grow. And now as the other businesses come back online, we're dealing with that, getting them up and running again. So yeah, it's been a, a very challenging and rewarding in some senses last six months if you will sure i think that makes a lot of sense what i like is that you guys you know your response and as a team and what it sounds like you guys were doing was not just a 
you know, let's just kind of hide in a cave and ignore the whole thing. What you actually did is you got proactive and started saying, well, you know, this is not ideal. We would all prefer it didn't happen, of course. But how are we going to see this through? And actually, you know, you mentioned Mother's Day and I'm sure there were lots of other events that then fall in line. And it almost gives you guys a reason to go to market. You know, you know, more people are going to be on Google looking for products. There's going to be more e-commerce stuff going on. And actually just, as you say, mobilizing the team, I think is really, really key to this. Yeah, there were, I mean, in the beginning, you know, there was the kind of getting situated because, you know, for our business, the first and foremost is health and safety of everybody. So we had to make sure, okay, everybody get home, everybody get isolated, bring the laptop, and we will, you know, we will figure it out. And then once everybody was fine, then it's like, okay, now how do we run this business with everybody working, you know, like me from their basement or wherever? Yeah, sure. And I think one of the things we found as a team actually is because we're quite sort of digital anyway, within a week or two, it almost felt normal to be at home. I I was quite amazed and we've been catching up as a business now how quickly we got used to it, but also the fact that it became normal. And within about two or three weeks, people were like, I can't remember being at the office now. It's why I used to be every single day. I used to commute in, be in the office all day, meeting clients, hanging out with my colleagues. And suddenly the whole thing's now changed. And I just, again, like we've been reflecting it quite a lot this week as a business and talking about, you know, COVID is not going away. So we need to now, rather than reacting to what's going on and we've reacted well, we now need to start looking at being proactive. And I think, again, you know, sort of referencing the report, and bringing that into play, the, the Bright Pearl report, it's been really interesting, actually, that people are talking about, regardless of what happens with COVID, they've gained more trust with buying things online. And actually, I think a lot of people have realized some of the technology on websites has been quite key to buying decisions and actually trying things on without trying them on or seeing you know, one of your pop-up cards in action without having to go to a store to play with it, I think is, is really, really key. You know, I guess, you know, from your point of view, would you say that the business has adapted well then to, to everything that's happened? Yeah. I mean, what we're seeing is we've accelerated a trend that was kind of happening, right? So people becoming more and more comfortable with buying online, right? And you can, you know, you have videos and pictures, like the ability to display your product and present it in a way that people can understand it is a lot simpler now than it used to be. It's a lot more powerful. So that all helps. But unless they're willing to make that engagement and break habits that they've had, you, you don't get that that business shifting. This is just kind of, you know, forced, you know, and to use this, what I was talking about before, like, you know, there are holidays and occasions like birthdays and Mother's Day, and you have to get, you know, your kids birthday cards, right? I mean, you have to get your mom a Mother's Day card. Maybe dads don't get Father's Day cards all the time. Yeah, there is a trend of that, I've noticed. But if you miss your mother, right, Mother's Day, and in my case, I'm married. So if I miss my mother-in-law too, that's two. Like, you can't do that. So if I can't go to, you know, shop in my local retail establishment, right, I'm going online. And there are people that were there before and just continue to do it and just do it more often. And then there are a whole bunch of new people that are like, all right, I'll give this a try. And then they find out how easy the customer experience is, which is key, right, to, to make this stick. And they're like, huh, I can go online, I can order a card, I can have it sent to somebody uh, across the country, and I don't have to leave my house. That's actually very easy. <laughs> and then it becomes a habit. I'm going to do that the next time. So about five years ago, when it was actually, I can't remember my mom's birthday or Mother's Day, and it was like the day of, and I was on Google about 10 o'clock in the morning going, same day delivery flowers. 
just think like if I and it was at a point where it's like if I get her anything, she might be amazed. Like I've in our family, we've not been we've not been very good at that sort of thing. But I've been much much better over the last few years, and I honestly will say, and I think this is the right forum to say it. I wouldn't say it's in front of my family, but you know, technology has actually supported my own shopping behavior change because it's so convenient. So actually now I, I have a plan B, which is a, if I haven't got anybody, anything in time, Argos, Amazon, and you know, and a whole ton of flower companies in the UK, they all do same day delivery now. So I can order stuff to my family if I've completely forgotten or send them a gift card, but rewind the clock 20 years ago, I couldn't do that. 20 years ago, I would have had to be thinking about it for weeks. And, and I'm not saying that I care any less about any of those people, but I just think, as you say, the technology has now allowed those things to happen. And I think then it's just on you as a business to have a good product, get it in front of the right people at the right time with the right message. And the rest kind of falls into place, doesn't it? It does. And I'll give you a tip. If you go on our website, you can actually schedule it for next Mother's Day. So Amazing. <laughs> so I can do it today. And then, <laughs> for, for today next year. and then you don't have to worry about scrambling. Awesome. <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's some of the things that technology brings to us and allows us to do. You're absolutely right. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I mean, talking again about shopping behavior then. So how have you seen your customers and just the way people shop change? Is there been changes to the way they order products or have you noticed the volumes increase online or have you seen people have special delivery requests or the way they use delivery? Like what are some of the key things that have stuck out for you guys as a business? So, I mean, we've seen the volume piece. I I would say we're not seeing any necessarily trends in that we hadn't seen before people like our newer products you know they they you know that's a big piece of our business to continue to bring new products you you don't want to have the same old card every year after year after year some people do some people are nostalgic and want the same card year after year so you got to service them too but so we're seeing people gravitate to our newer products which is important you know it runs the gamut in terms of people like i said can schedule cards or schedule gifts to go out and that that really hasn't changed much next day two day next week shipping hasn't changed much i would say one of the things that has changed is on the delivery side you know, like everybody else, we've been succumbed to a lot of like delivery pressures, like, you know, through different carriers, just the sheer volume of stuff I think being shipped. We've had, we've had to adapt to setting customer expectations, you know, so when our carrier comes back and says, hey, your normal lead time was two to three days, it's now three to five days, right? We've had to do a lot more on the customer service side to make sure we set proper expectations, either upfront on our website to let people know so that they don't miss key dates or, you know, on the back end with having to adjust how we actually do shipping to get these products out quicker to people. I mean, how quickly are you going to lose a customer if they've gone through all the hard work of finding the right product, putting in their card details or using Apple Pay or something, paid for the product, and they are expecting it to arrive in one to three days and it takes five or six? Right. You know, little things like that and somebody mentioned this actually i think it was sarah on one of our previous episodes that that's that sort of process will actually get you a really negative review on trustpilot or you know or fifa or any of the big review platforms it will get you a really big negative review when in actual fact the main thing you do as a business is you make products and the product you've made has had no fault at all but it's all been overshadowed by this failure by the by the couriers by the delivery service or by a system to actually get the product out quickly enough. 
Right. They're dealing with their own problems and trying to battle COVID and different protocols they have. So I totally get it. But I think the key for us has been where we haven't seen that impact on reviews and ratings, it's been continued to be really positive, is the transparency and providing that upfront. We try to do, you know, we're not 100%, but we try to do our best to let customers know, hey, if you want it by these dates, we suggest ordering here, so on and so forth. So it's- Yeah, by this time, use this delivery service, yep. And we spend a lot of time and effort keeping up to date on what the carriers are telling us, different markets, different issues. It, it's yeah, it's a big part of the the operation downstream to deliver. Yeah, sure, sure. I in the report, I was actually quite shocked, and because we're doing these podcasts, I've got a list of some of the big statistics that that have kind of made me almost sort of jaw drop, or you know, I've had to sort of double take. And one of them is that thirty eight percent of people that responded to some of these surveys say that online deliveries are taking more since the crisis hit. And what I find fascinating by that is it's nearly fifty percent, and actually. Maybe I, maybe I live in a bit of a bubble here in the UK, but we've had no issues necessarily in the UK in my area. However, when I turn on the news, certainly things coming from international, I think, have been hit quite badly. But again, I was just shocked to say that, you know, to see that 38% of people think deliveries have taken longer over this time. You know, if it was 10 or 20%, I could almost take that as a, you know, you could almost blame anything on that happening at any time. But the fact that it's been so extreme, again, I think just warrants the fact that customer expectation needs to be managed at all times. You have to be clear with your customer about when things are going to happen, um, how much they're going to cost, what's going to happen next, you know, when they can expect things to arrive, what, what's the returns process. I think one of the trends I've seen over time has probably been accelerated through COVID, especially with people buying bigger, more expensive items, which, you know, slightly different to what you guys do, but people are doing so much more research and actually the level of information they require to make a purchase, even on something quite cheap, is so high. So what work have you guys been doing in terms of, you know, how much information do you always try and share on a product or, you know, do you try and not share too much because they've got to buy it to see it? Or do you guys try and go completely to town and answer every single question so there's no reason not to buy it? We we probably err on the side of, more information. Obviously, as our customer base matures, they become more familiar with the product. So it becomes easier. You know, once you understand the product, if you're a repeat buyer, you understand it, it's it's easier. So, but we have videos, dialogues. Some of our products have bios on what the designer was thinking when they designed the card or the product. Nice. It's great. Yeah. You know, some of our products now have moved to a more digital interactive experience where We'll have a QR code and it'll bring you to our website and there'll be some funny little thing that happens. So we're we're experimenting with different ways to enhance that that customer experience in, in terms of what they're getting. But yeah, I mean it's with with different digital assets, it becomes somewhat, I would say, easy to kind of really display what you have. The the challenge is the volume, right? So the challenge always becomes how much more can you do on hundreds, you know, close to a thousand products that we might sell? You know, do you have the same experience on every single product? Yeah. Uh, that becomes daunting, but but we, we make it happen. We have a good team. Sure. And as an SEO person, we are always asking for more content. So a lot of the things you've just said, I've been sitting there thinking of like a whole handful of clients thinking, why don't they talk about this stuff? You know, or we did do some stuff with kind of augmented reality on an application with QR codes. I say the client was playing with that sort of thing and we then led that into PPC campaigns and some of the email activity that was going on afterwards and that side of stuff. So yeah, I think 
as you say, it's it's great to have lots of information, but I think the, on the flip side of that, the more information you have, the more you really need to think about the design of your pages and the, if you're on Shopify, the theme you're using to make sure the information is organized. Because that's the other thing with customer expectation is what you communicate, how you communicate it, when you communicate it as well. And I think that's probably something that I think a lot of retail brands have always struggled with is what are the most important messages when they first land? What are the questions they'll have while they're browsing? What are the things we need to tell them? And often the third one, the what we need to tell them, often that takes the forefront, which is not the right sort of thing, you know, in my opinion. So have you guys sort of sat down and thought about that and done a bit of sort of, you know, have you done focus groups with customers and really understood sort of what was it that made them buy? We do. We have an insider group that we leverage, gives us insights into the products and we do surveys you know, all the time to get insight from customers. We also get one of the reasons our retail business is helpful is it, you know, then you can get direct customer feedback. Like when you're talking to them, you know, hey, why'd you buy this product? You know, why are you buying a Christmas card in October? So we want to know, it's like, is it going to be a trend? Like, should we start gearing up earlier because people are buying earlier? So we're always, I think, gleaning those insights. We also leverage a lot of the technology that we have, you know, like where people are clicking, pointing, searching, what avenues are coming in on, you know, to your point, like, you know, we, we do, you know, different A-B testing to figure out, okay, you know, this worked, this didn't, so we'll leverage, you know, something that does work. So we, we have a whole team of people that, you know, focuses on kind of the front end customer experience and journey and how they're doing and, and makes adjustments accordingly. You know, you can change out how we present our products, how you search for them, sort, tags, all that stuff that's important to selling online. Sure. And what are some of the big channels for you guys? Is it sort of quite a traditional mix or are there any really kind of obscure channels that send quite a lot of traffic and obviously new customers into the store? It's like everybody else. So, you know, Facebook, right? Email, big channel for us. We, we use Google as well, but we use all the... The, the same ones everybody else uses, the tricky dynamic is, you know, to make sure that the ad spend you're doing, you know, is bringing in the, the eyeballs and is doing it cost effectively. So there's really no tricks to the trade, I would say there. Sure. And I think it's a good point because a lot of, a lot of brands that do reach out to certainly, uh, you know, the Just Ask Parker side of my business, a lot of them reach out and they're like, what's the best way to get free traffic? And they're looking for us to say things like, jump on Pinterest, you'll get tens of thousands of people a month. But the reality is how buy ready is someone that's, you know, browsing Pinterest and goes, that looks cool versus someone that's gone on Google and typed in a, I really want this product right now, or I'm interested in this specific thing, which then drives them into the store. And there's a reason why one of those channels is free. And the other one you have to pay a lot of money for and really understand it and really work at it. And it's not going to work on day one, or if it does, it's a minor miracle. But it's something you're going to have to continue working at over time, even just to maintain what's going on but i think the the other key thing as well which you know you've spoken a lot about even before we started recording which i think is absolutely brilliant is you talk so much about the customer and you talk about the product and actually it's you know a lot of these channels as you say there's no silver bullet they're all the sort of standard channels people use but it sounds to me like you guys have made such advancements in the actual product you offer which then means standing out is that much easier because you're not selling the same pair of Adidas or Nike shoes that everybody's trying to buy, you've got something quite unique, you know, and I think is, is that, has that been a big, big focus of the business on certainly on the marketing side of stuff? 
Yeah, it's huge for us. So, I mean, one of our big pillars is bringing really, we, we call it magical moments, but we want, you know, the card or whatever you're buying, whether it's a sculpture or decor item or new our new flower bouquets, like we want it to pop. Yeah. And we want you to open it. It's like, wow, that is different. And, you know, we're not the only pop-up greeting card in the world here. But when you see one of our products, it is that higher quality specialness that makes it, you know, great. And then, so you have a great product right now, the challenge is now I got to get it to market. Yeah. So, yeah. so, you know, we, we don't lose sight of making great products every day. And we have a, you know, wonderful design team. We have an awesome manufacturing team that is quality is like their number one thing. And that enables us, if you will, to then go to market and present these products and, and bring people in. And once they find them, they stick. So, you know, that's, that's the key. I guess if you, if you buy somebody a really, really unique, nice gift, forward 12 months, what, what are they going to be expecting next year? They're going to be expecting exactly the not exactly the same, but the same level of quality. You know, th- there's certain people we all know who buy the most amazing presents. And it's normally, you know, Nana and Granddad or, you know, a mum and dad or something or a good friend of yours or your partner. There's always somebody that people have who they just always know what you want and they always get the right stuff. They know what you want before you do sort of thing. And I think from your point of view, it sounds like there's always that emphasis on, well, you bought somebody an amazing card last year. You should probably get them an even better one or the same sort of quality again this year, which then means we get that repeat business plus between this birthday and the next year's birthday, we've got all the other birthdays and all the Mother's Day, Father's Day, Halloween, etc. going on in the middle. So I guess it starts to become quite a nice working model by the sounds of things. It's, again, it's just a case of getting that messaging right to customers at the right time, the right frequency. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we have a lot of customers will tell us or send us pictures that they, you know, have their card displayed like a decoration in their home. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that tells it all, right? Yeah, yeah. Here you go. This didn't end up in the trash like, you know, the other 10 birthday cards you got, right? So, yeah. That's that's one thing in our house. I'm the one that has to put the cards in the bin at the end of Christmas. Or we, we got engaged a few months ago. So, of course, our house was just full of engagement cards and saying, congratulations, when's the wedding? And, and you know, that was one set that she turned to me. She said, do not throw a single one of these in the bin. We're keeping all of them. And I was then like, well, where are they going? And it's like, I don't know. And I just, you know, can pitch them in a box in the loft in 10 years time. But it's always my job to throw them out. Because I think, you know, as you say, I, I do feel bad. So like, some of them look amazing, but they are just the one, one use thing. But then as you say, if you, if it becomes something that sits up on the, you know, a bit of decor in the house, or it's almost like a, a bunch of flowers somebody's bought, but they don't wilt and die. They, they stay there, you know, can stay there for some time, which is, which is, again, fascinating, amazing products. And it sounds like you very much built a, quite an interesting market for yourselves there. But I want to I want to kind of change change focus for a second. Naturally, we've gone right down the marketing route and talked about the customers and what's going on the website. Let's talk about technology for a second because part of the reason we, we partnered up with BrightPearl for this series is a lot of businesses, when they finally nail it and they start to scale, lo and behold, they've gone for the cheapest, easiest technology on the right, you know, on the day when they chose it. And now it's not going to work or, you know, they're, they're on Magento 1 back in the day and, the servers are failing or they've built a custom site or something. So you guys are obviously using Shopify. What what was the approach from Shop- was Shopify the first kind of platform or the oldest platform in your sort of technology at the moment? Was that the kind of first one and you've built other things around it or what's the approach been? Yeah, we've had Shopify for the longest 
time to help enable the front end. And then what we've done is built operational systems around it to support what I would call like the fulfillment, inventory management, accounting side, if you will. And and that's where Bright Pearl and some of our internal custom services come in. It plays a huge role in that, being able to kind of get that, as I, as I like to say, it's like an end-to-end supply chain enabled world, right? So you have to have everything connected and you have to be able to fulfill really quick. Well, there's a lot of challenges with that, right? Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if, I, if you say, hey, let me take all your orders and then let me call my manufacturer and take six weeks to manufacture it. And then I'll eventually get it over here and I'll confirm I have all the inventory and I'll send it to you. Well, those days are gone. Like you need to do that in days and, and you know minutes, not weeks and months. So, sure. yeah, yeah. so having that fully enabled approach is something to be honest we've we've you know we're like every other company we don't have an endless amount of money to just throw at new systems and processes so we've had manage our budget effectively and we grow into it you know and about a year ago we got to the point where the the internal systems that we were using manage order management inventory were not working not scaling and we needed a better solution. And then, you know, we landed with Bright Pearl. And it's been great because for us, having something like inventory availability for customers on the website to be accurate and timely is huge. So, you know, us is to sync like what we have in our warehouses with Shopify near real time, if you will, so that when an order goes out the door, the inventory gets decremented and that shows up on the website right away so that we know we don't have we have one less of those. When a shipment of inventory comes in and it's received, all that inventory goes live on the website within a matter of, you know, seconds, minutes, and now it's available for sale. And that having that enablement has been huge for us to be able to ensure that we're going to fulfill uh, the orders that we take, but also replen inventory very quickly so that it is available and you don't go to the website and everything's sold out right yeah definitely definitely again going back to the thing we we're talking about earlier it's so hard to get the customer in in the first place via a web page and convince them to actually buy something but to then not have their product in stock or not get it to them i i honestly years ago used to totally underestimate how complicated inventory for e-commerce businesses was you know, I thought like, no, no, we just need to get the customers in. The rest is easy. We can sort that out. And the more I've, <laughs> the more I've looked into that side of things, the more I've started to appreciate tools like Bright Pearl to actually say, well, do you know what? The, the first, and I think I mentioned this last week as well, the first step with all of this is to actually say, well, you know, we need to make sure the systems work and they update properly. But then almost the stage two is then to take a step back and go, right, now we've got the infrastructure in place. What does that actually do to our marketing campaigns and to our offering to customers? You know, could, could we actually guarantee delivery now? Because we know it's going to be on a truck out of the warehouse within 24 hours. So could we then start guaranteeing delivery, which in a market like yours, I mentioned the same day flowers, actually a delivery guarantee, and especially if I'm ordering it six months in advance, is so important. And then you, you can't offer that, though, if your systems don't support it. But something we talk about a lot, it starts to actually build a bit of a USP, doesn't it? If you're the only one in the market who can guarantee next day or guaranteed two-day delivery, and it's guaranteed, and if we don't, you know, and you could even put something quirky, if we don't match that, we will drive to whoever's house it is and hand deliver it to their front door sort of thing or to, to you to take over if we don't get it to you by X date. 
again, without the without the technology, you, you then can't offer those USPs. You can't run the business efficiently. And it's almost like if you're going to try and grow this thing and get more customers in, but your systems aren't efficient, you're actually just going to scale up more problems, if that makes sense. It's exactly it. And it allows you to then expand to try new services and new offerings to customers. Like, so one of our big things that we have online is the customization of the card. So you can, on our website, write a message to whoever you want to send it to. You can upload a picture, right? You and your kids send it to grandma. We will insert that into the card and we can ship it next day. Now we send it for free if you want to wait the normal carrier, you know, postal route. But to your point, like if you want to get something to grandma by next week, right? Drop an order today and it'll be there customized. You can't do that without good systems and reliable systems that that manage that flow. You just sure. Can't. And I think there's probably businesses offering customization and speed, but it's probably reliant on those two or three people who work in the business to literally, every time an order comes in, like an, almost like an alarm bell goes off. It's like, right, quick, customize the thing, get it in a package, walk down to the local UPS or whatever and deliver it. And um, Which I, I did actually run a Shopify store for a few years as a bit of a side project, more to just kind of find out, you know, what are my clients going through? What are the retailers actually dealing with? And we, but we literally used to do that every day. Any orders that came in, we would customize them if we needed to, package them all up, and then drop them off on our drive home at one of the local, in the UK, we have the post office, drop it off at one of the post offices, and they would then deliver it. You know, it's a good system. It's a customer. It looked good. But after a year or two, I sort of looking at this business going, how on earth am I ever going to grow this thing? And then when we did the numbers, it was like, in this particular business, it's not worth it. But the numbers were looking at if we had a thousand, you know, how many orders a day do we need to actually make some proper profit? And it was like a thousand or something. And then the technology we need then means that that would make no money. So to make money, we'd have to get all that technology, get up to 5,000 orders a day to then make this, that same amount. And it was like, that's a huge operation for not much reward. So the business model eventually didn't stack up. But I think it's, it's so important to do those numbers early on. So you know at what points we're going to start making changes to things. Like, you know, when are we going to outgrow our website? When are we going to outgrow our fulfillment system, even if that system is an email coming in and a human packaging it, or whether that system is, as you say, something like Bright Pearl. But I think the scalability, certainly with something like COVID hit, so many retail brands just kind of started ripping their hair out going, we can't scale. And this is, this is the golden opportunity. This will only happen once in a lifetime. And we can't, we can't scale. Our website can't handle more traffic and our ERP system's falling over and our email accounts are not working. And so it's, it's amazing to hear how you guys were already in that right place, ready for what, what some people are calling a sort of second peak. Yeah, I might give credit to our, you know, our leadership. They're always challenging us to think longer term, like what if we have to do four times the volume? Sure. Damn. And then I'm like, oof, okay. <laughs> and our logistics, head of logistics is like, so I got to have the ability to flow four times the orders, right? And our people that are dealing with you know, product design are like, I got to be able to design four times as many products. So they do an excellent job challenging us to kind of think ahead as opposed to think in the here and now. Because it's, it's the here and now is what we have to manage every single day. You know, we have to deal with the errors and the orders that are stuck or, you know, the customer experiences that didn't go, like you said, to, to plan. We got to be all over that. So it's hard to, you know, take a step aside and kind of look longer term. But they do a very good job at forcing us to do that, which has helped us. I 
in this case to be ready uh, when this happened. Yeah, and and, and the, the last question from me, which is very much on that note of taking a step back and looking forward, what what's next for the business? You know, in the kind of like next few months, and also looking twenty years down the future, what what kind of direction are you guys looking to push in? What are the, what's the main focus for you at the moment? So first and foremost, continued excellent operational performance to meet our online demand, which is growing. But strategically, you know, we had a really good retail business and some good third-party business that was doing well for us before this hit. And we do want to get that moving again. And, you know, uh, especially our retail business, we have a really crackerjack group of people that can provide a like here and now a store or a kiosk. We're opening new stores where other retailers are closing. And we look forward to getting that going again because it just is a great way to get customer insights and bring the product right to customers. You know, ideally, you know, we'd love to be able to do some, you know, maybe longer term omni-channel stuff. It's not an immediate concern of ours because most of our business is online, but, you know, be able to buy online and pick up at our store or pick up somewhere or, or the vice versa. If you're at one of our locations and we, you know, happen to not have a thousand products like we do on the website and you want some particular, be able to order right there and we'll have it shipped to you. So those are some of the things we're thinking about, but to be honest with you, I'm right now I'm, I'm looking at, you know, fall and Christmas and making sure that everything works accordingly. <laughs> yeah. So I imagine there's a lot of pressure on that. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that, you know, every, all the customer experiences flow nice and smooth. That's kind of the priority right now. Sure, sure. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dan. I really appreciate your time and for sharing so many amazing insights. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be there with a pen and paper, um, taking lots of notes and that sort of thing. So thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. Cool. And for everybody listening, we'll be back again next week. We post every single week. If you've not listened to the rest of this series, do go and check out the other episodes. We've had some phenomenal guests on over the last few weeks. And again, if you haven't already, go and check out that report. It's on brightpearl.com forward slash winners and losers, all one word. And then Bright Pearl, all one word in capitals is the code to download the, uh, the actual reports themselves. So go and check them out. Have a look at them and think, what can we do differently as a business with some of this information that's on here? And just before we disappear, there's going to be a quick note from our sponsor in a couple of seconds time. But again, if you haven't clicked the subscribe button, go and hit that now. And we look forward to having you again with us next week. Thanks a lot. Is your ERP platform able to handle bursts of growth and the diverse needs of cross-channel experiences? Probably not, because it's not built for retail. Bright Pearl is 100% built for retail so you'll know that you're in good hands. Find out why more than 1,000 e-commerce merchants use BrightPearl's automated digital operations platform to scale efficiently, delight customers, and to make smarter decisions. In an uncertain world, it's time to future-proof and streamline your business. Do so today at brightpearl.com. Sign up for free for the Shopify-approved marketing course at 1000salesandbeyond.com and get our show notes at justaskparker.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to the Winning with Shopify podcast. See you next time.